Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're honored that you join us here. Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. We chose that name because we believe that the words and ways of Jesus are very beautiful. And so each week we're bringing content to help make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and dive in to this past Sunday's sermon. Well, today I want to talk about experiencing freedom by finding trust in God. And I'm going to give a theological framework for sin and freedom and understanding the kind of relationship God wants us to have. And and so I'm going to talk about trusting God. And I believe that there are some people in this room who have trust issues. Someone once told me, pretty even, I think you have trust issues, but to be honest, I have a hard time believing them. Some of us, uh, we're like, I don't have trust issues. I have, I've seen how this goes. I know how the story ends issues. So I'm not going to trust you, anybody like that. And I, I believe that trust, though, is something that's critical for a relationship with God. It's critical for any relationship. If you're in a, a romantic relationship, if you don't have trust with your partner, that's really going to hurt you long term. If you're in a a job environment where your boss doesn't trust you or you don't trust your boss, that environment is going to be filled with tension and resentment and distance and rejection and abandonment. Trust is essential for any flourishing relationship. And I believe that's why we see in the very first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve are first created, they have this perfect relationship with God. The serpent, the Satan, the enemy of our souls, he begins to plant seeds of suspicion so that these two, the first humans, wouldn't trust God. Let's read in Genesis 3 about this. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit, the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil." Right here, the serpent plants a seed of suspicion. Did God really say? God said you would die. No, you won't really die. You see how he's, he's placing mistrust in this crucial relationship, and it begins a path of destruction. You know, I've experienced a, a, a lack of trust and an increase of suspicion in relationships, even in my relationship with Pastor Amritha. Uh, she doesn't trust my level and quality of cleanliness. She doesn't feel like I can clean very well. In fact, if we divvy up the chores and I'm sweeping the kitchen floor and uh, I clean it, she'll go to inspect my work. And I can tell she's holding back unkind words, but she'll say to me in her most gentlest, smilest voice, how is it possible that you have cleaned this? There are crumbs everywhere. Anybody have a partner who inspects your work? And uh, <laughs> I know, okay. Even like, it's not even my work. When it comes to her work, she, she cleans the toilet and she'll say, honey, I just cleaned the toilet, so you can't use it. 
I'm like, we have a toilet? I guess I, get, I just don't use this toilet anymore. She doesn't trust my ability to keep the toilet clean. And I'm like, what is going on? And I can feel that suspicion rising and putting division between us. But to be honest, it goes both ways. There are times where I don't trust Pastor Amritha. When I lose the remote, or the kids lose the remote, and Amritha's sitting on the couch, I'll ask, hey, are you, uh, are you sitting on the remote? She'll say, no, absolutely not. I'll say, get up right now. I don't trust you. And I look under the cushions. It's not there. But it's this suspicion, this lack of trust, not believing their word, believing that they're holding out on us. And I, I think this can cause chaos in the kind of relationships that we have. And uh, I believe that when it comes to our trust in God, there have been seeds of distrust and mistrust and suspicion that have flourished. And it's really important, especially as we consider that we are in this season of experiencing freedom here at Kalos Church. And one of the things that keeps us trapped is having a poor view of God, believing that he doesn't have good intentions towards us, believing that he doesn't have the best in mind for all of humanity. And I, I love this quote by an author named A.W. Tozer, and he writes, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because when we believe that God is good, we're able to rest, follow him. But when we believe that God is stingy or holding out on us, we begin to try to take things in our own hands as a fruit of not trusting him. I believe that in any relationship, trust or lack thereof is a deal breaker. If you can't trust someone, our entire relationship is off. When we can't trust God, we tend to push him out of our lives. We stop talking with him. We stop relying on him. We stop listening to him. And sometimes we even feel betrayed by him and are angry with him. Here are some signs that maybe you don't trust God. This isn't an exhaustive list, but maybe you'll resonate with some. You don't pray in hard times. You don't let God lead certain parts of your life. You constantly worry about things going wrong. You quickly get frustrated with God's slow timing. You feel like you don't have enough money to worship God financially. You act first and pray second, if you pray at all. You believe God will answer the prayer of other people, but not yours. You allow fear to lead you more than faith. You believe your way is better than God's way. You have a hard time believing God loves you. You feel like God is holding out on you. And I believe that this trust issue is something that we need to get a hold of. If we don't view God right, if we don't trust him right, it will wreak havoc in our lives. And so I want to bring some warnings based on this Genesis 3 scripture of the first humans. First warning I want to offer is this. If Satan can't get you to doubt the existence of God, he'll get you to doubt the character of God. In my life, I've not met many true atheists. Most people I know consider themselves spiritual or want to connect with the divine. They believe something created us. They would simply say, I don't have faith to believe that something came from nothing, and so I'm not a true atheist. Whereas not a lot of the people I've met are true atheists. A lot of people I've met doubt the character of God. And I don't think that this is by accident. I mean, the, the Satan, the attacker of our soul, his plan, the serpent, was to plant these seeds. Did God really say, oh, you won't really die? God is holding out on you. Let's read it again in Genesis 3. It says, you won't die. 
God said you would die, but you won't die. God knows your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God. And so the Satan's saying, hey, God is holding out on you. He knows that if you eat this fruit, you will be like God. And this is just such a huge issue. At some point in our lives, we have to make the decision. Do I want to be with God, or do I simply want to be like God? And he's tempting with this question, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. I just want to let you know that sin and the temptation of sin often is delicious. Sin feels good. Can I get a good amen? Amen. If it didn't feel good, we wouldn't be tempted to do it, right? But sin feels good, at least short term. And so the fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom. Wanting wisdom, right? That's the good thing. Well, she wanted wisdom at the expense of obeying God. Sometimes our pursuit of wisdom and godliness can cause us to replace our relationship with God. She took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And so the, the, the devil, he, he succeeds in getting Eve and Adam to question God. They're asking, what is God hiding from us? Why does he not want us to know good and evil? Is he concerned that we'll be like him and too powerful? It all appeals to human vanity. I want to know more. I want to be independent. I don't want anybody to pull the wool over my eyes. And I believe that self-centeredness is a subtle temptation that easily distorts even our highest commitments to godliness. And so we must be on guard of making everything about us and making sure everything serves our own purpose. We need to be careful because both violent people and extremely religious people or worldly people, we all are tempted to make all of life, all of the Bible, all of our relationships, all of our environments about us. We are all bent towards curving in on ourselves and taking God off the throne so that we can sit on the throne ourselves. I mean, if I was going to ask you, whose voice do you primarily follow? Whose voice do you obey? Whose voice do you listen? Is it the voice of God or is it your own voice? When you disagree with the word of God, whose way wins? Because Adam and Eve, they wanted to be like God. They wanted this wisdom. They wanted to know good and evil, and they disobeyed God to get it. Sometimes even our pursuit of godliness gets in the way of our pursuit of God. I mean, all of us want to be like Christ, and I think that's important. But when we stop pursuing God in order to be like God, then we realize we become idols to ourselves. You know, there's this theological term I want to share. It was first originated by the the North African early church father, Augustine, and I think it was popularized by Martin Luther, and it's called Incurvatas and Se. Everybody say Incurvatas and Se. Very good, class. What does this mean? Well, let's, let's read a definition. Martin Luther describes man is so curved in upon himself that he uses not only physical but even spiritual goods for his own purposes and in all things seeks only himself. What Luther means is that despite our best efforts to get beyond ourselves, to love and serve others to the best of our ability, human beings find it impossible to escape the gravity well of self-interest. And we are often unconscious of this fact, even as it, in fact, drives our behavior. 
There's a part of us that likes to be in control and make things happen ourselves because we don't truly trust God. We don't believe that he has the best for us. We don't believe in his timing. We don't believe that what he would do in his style is how we would do it in our own style. And I'm telling you, it wreaks havoc on our souls. And it's the reason many of us are trapped in the situation we're trapped in. You know, with my two children, Obi and Nala, Obi is seven years old, Nala is four, Obi completely trusts me. I think he trusts me too much sometimes. In the kitchen, he climbs up on the kitchen island counter, and then he jumps at me, assuming that I will catch him, and most of the time, I catch him. And it's this happy moment. He just trusts me. He doesn't hesitate. He jumps. My daughter used to be this way. She would jump and let me catch her. And at home, we play this game we call exercise, where I'll get on my back, and I have my kids stand on my hands, and then I balance them like we're gymnasts or something. And it works with my son. He fully trusts me, so he just stands like a normal human. And it works. He doesn't fight me. He doesn't try to move his legs. doesn't make his body weirdly stiff. He just rests in my embrace. And we do push-ups that way. And uh, then my daughter, she used to do this when she was little, but as she's gotten older and wiser and smarter, she gets up there and she has memories of falling in the past on her own or scraping her knee. And so she starts to like tense up her body in a weird way. And then she starts to try to balance herself. And then she tries to grab my foot. And I'm like, no, just stand like a normal human. Stop trying to grab and twist and force this way. But I can tell she doesn't fully trust me. She's afraid of falling. And so then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because she's tense and forcing things and trying to control the situation in her own strength. She falls. And it's not my fault. It's her fault. It's her fault. In our relationship with God, though, maybe we used to trust God a long time ago, but now we we know a little bit more scripture, or we've had a little bit more life experience, or things didn't work out the way we wanted, and so we find ourselves controlling this, or tense here, or we're resistant to this move instead of resting in faith in God. What happened to your faith in God? When did you stop trusting him? Maybe you're trusting him with this part of your life, but there's just, this part of your life is just too important to trust him with. And so you've adopted this phrase, if it's, up, if it's going to be, it's up to me. Because God doesn't do it in the right timing. So I have to take care of myself because God refuses to do it for me. I think we have this kind of mindset. You know, there's this picture of a little girl with a teddy bear I want to show you. And it's kind of cheesy, but it ministered to my soul. And uh, so there's Jesus, and there's this little girl. This little girl is holding this teddy bear. It's cute. It's precious. It's where she feels safe and secure. It's what she wants. But then Jesus, he's saying, hey, give me that teddy bear. I've got something better, bigger for you. But the little girl is like, no, I I need this. I've always had this. I have this under control. No, this, I, I have to be in this relationship. I could never let go of it. Or I have to live here. Or no, these are my finances. I could not trust.
trust you with it. Or, yeah, I know, it's, it, some people call this just a coping addiction, but I, I just can't get through the day without pot. I can't get through this season without porn. I can't, I'm, yeah, I'm a little angry, and I treat people a little bit unkind, but I just, I have to release myself of these feelings. It's just, this is just how I cope. But then when Jesus says, hey, could you maybe let go of that anger? Or maybe could you trust me with your finances? Or could you trust me with your job? Or could you trust me with your family? And you're like, well, I, you didn't answer my prayer the way you said you would or the way I thought you should. And so I, I'm not letting go of this. I'm taking care of it myself. But Jesus is saying, hey, uh, if you let go of this, I can give you something better. I can give you the freedom you actually long for, the hope the love, the joy, the peace that you haven't been able to do in your strength, I can provide it for you. But many times we have put ourselves on the throne of our lives. And so we cling on to the little things we can control. And because our fist is so clenched, yes, we're holding on, but there's no room for God to put anything better in there. And in our lack of trust, we've become people of control, and we've limited the very miracles we long for. Amen. Amen. It takes trust to have faith in God, and trust is the choice we all need to make. And I believe that this is the beginning of sin wreaking havoc on humanity. Adam and Eve say, we can do this better than you, God. We'll make our own decisions. We'll be our own gods. And then we see just the mess and evil and injustice and fear wreak havoc in this story. And warning number two I want to share with you is this. Sin, this idea of we can do things better than God. Sin, meaning we miss the mark. Sin, believing that we can lead our lives instead of God. Sin, disobeying God. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. That is the nature of sin. We think sin is innocent. I'm doing this alone. Nobody sees me. It's not hurting anybody. But I'm telling you what, anytime you choose your way instead of God's way, it's going to wreak and reap havoc in your lives. It will cause you to be trapped, and it will destroy you. I mean, look at what happens in Genesis 3 and verse 7. After they eat this fruit in rebellion to God, at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame. They hadn't felt shame before, but now they do because of their rebellion in God. And some of us, maybe you have a, a shame that you just can't quite shake away. I, I believe that's intentional by the enemy of your soul. They felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves to cover themselves. And then when the breeze was coming, they heard God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord. And then the Lord called, where are you? So they're hiding from God. They had this beautiful, untarnished relationship with God. Now they're hiding from him. And then in verse 10, it says they're afraid of God because they were naked. And then be, they become blamers of each other. So they go from shame to blame. Hey, who told you you were naked? Asking a point blank, did you eat from this tree? And then the man, he, he replied, uh, it was the woman, blaming the woman, that you gave me, blaming God. It becomes this blame game. And then the Lord asks God, the woman, what have you done? And then the woman blames the serpent. The serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. And we have experienced these patterns in humanity ever since. 
We choose our own way, but then when things don't work out, we're embarrassed, we're ashamed, we hide from God, we don't take ownership of it, we blame each other for all the problems in the world when we ourselves have opened so much to injustice. And I, I, I feel you. I mean, if I, if I had a chance to talk to Adam and Eve, like maybe in eternity, I'll be able to talk to them, I would be like, you had one job. Why did you do this? Bad. <laughs> and I'm hoping they're just like, my bad. <laughs> my bad. I mean, I, these little decisions aren't innocent. They create patterns for us in our lives and our children and our neighbors and our family and our friends. I mean, if you have a hard time making a decision on what to eat, I understand, because the first time humans made a bad food decision, it doomed all of humanity into death and disorder. I mean, it's one of the reasons if you are uh, an Android user instead of an Apple user, I understand, because the first time hum humans used Apple, everything got messed up. And so I have grace on you. Any Android users in here? Grace on you. Grace on you. Grace on you. I hate your green bubbles, but grace <laughs> on you. And so we see blame, shame, hiding, and it, it's just so bad. And they must have thought, it's just a fruit. I'm just trying to be more wise. But I'm telling you what, sin takes you further than you ever dreamed of. You think, oh, I'm just, I'm just looking at porn. It's not hurting anybody. Even though the scripture says if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. That's what Jesus said. These are the words of Jesus. And we, oh, but I'm not hurting anybody. But if you look at the research, like there's a huge percentage of all porn that is directly linked to sex trafficking. I mean, they're taking scores and scores of porn off the internet because it's been child porn, it's been revenge porn, it's been slavery. And so every time you click on a link, you may be directly funding sex trafficking in the world. Sin isn't just innocent. It destroys. It hurts. The ad revenue fuels certain industries. Your time, your attention, anytime you choose your way over God's way, it opens the world. I know we live in a culture that says, do you, be you, follow your own truth. But then we say, I hate injustice. I hate that there's racism. I hate that there's sex trafficking. I hate that there's a, a oppression of the poor. Well, how do you think it started? Anytime we choose our ways over God's ways. These collective sins aren't dismissing our individual sins. We are all complicit in systems of violence and oppression. And it started somewhere. And that's why the doctrine of sin that we're seeing in the scriptures is important for us to recognize. Otherwise, we're just going to have this shame and this guilt and this condemnation that we don't know what to do with. And the good news of the gospel is, yes, our sin is great, but our God is greater. Our sin is great, but our God is greater. And I, I believe that many of us have this pattern in our lives Maybe you can relate to it. I like to call it a penalty box mentality. It's where you, you do something that you know is against the will of God or something you regret, something that hurt yourself or hurt others around you. And you're like, ah, I feel ashamed. And then you start to hide from God like Adam and Eve. And it doesn't really make sense because we know that 
God is omniscient and omnipresent. He's everywhere. All at the same time, he knows everything. He has all knowledge. When you hide, spoiler alert, he knows where you are. And yet, we still hide. And so we, we want to follow God. Here's the penalty box mentality. We, we read our Bibles. We're praying. We're tithing. We're worshiping. We're, we're leading people to Christ. We're attending church and practicing the one another's of faith. But then we sin. Or we relapse, or we go back into that pattern we thought we would never do again. And so we're filled with shame and guilt, and what do we do? We say, oh, I can't pray. I'm not holy enough to pray. I can't read the Bible. I can't go to church. Who am I to lift up my hands in worship? I'm a sinner. And so we put ourselves in the penalty box until those feelings fade away, and then we feel like, okay, now I can go back to God because it's been a week since I sinned. I call it the penalty box mentality because, uh, believe it or not, I grew up playing hockey in Minnesota, and in hockey, you're on the ice, and if you commit like a flagrant offense, like a foul or something like that, maybe you, you hit someone in a bad check or you hack the bone with your stick or something like that, you get put into the penalty box. You know what I'm talking about? Any hockey players here? And you are having to sit there for like a minute or two minutes or three minutes. And meanwhile, on the ice, the other team has more players on the ice because you are in the penalty box, and that's called a power play. And so you sit in the box, and then when your time is up, you can enter into the game again. This is our faith. I sinned. Oh, I can't approach God for a little bit. I got to sit out, do my time away from God. Okay, my time's up. Now I can approach him again. And I'm telling you what, sin wants to keep you in shame, wants to keep you hiding from God, wants to keep you trapped. And the pattern here is the one that you're hiding from is the only one who can truly set you free. When you've hurt God the most, that's when you need him the most. When you feel like you deserve his grace the least, that's when you need it the most. And here's the good news of the gospel, a warning number three. It's a good warning. You can run from God, but he'll never run from you. God loves you as much on your worst day as he does on your best day. There's nothing you can do to earn God's love, but there's nothing you can do to lose God's love. He loves you so much. And we see this in Genesis, in the story in Genesis 3, verse 9. After the sin, after the shame, then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? They're hiding. God knows everything. And yet he's seeking after them, even after they rebelled and disobeyed. He says, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And then God, he's like a counselor. He knows everything that's happened. Remember, God has all knowledge. But he's basically offering free therapy here. He's asking them questions to get them to realize what's happened. He he asks, who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Then man replied, it was the woman you gave me to eat the fruit. I ate it and that whole thing. But God is walking them through the process of what happened, rehashing it because he's about to cover them. He's about to help them and not abandon them because even when they ran away from God, God began his search for them. And I believe that same principle applies for all of us today. You know, there have been so many times with my my earthly father, my dad, where I've said horrible things to him. I remember when I was in high school, I I was like a pretty violent person. I had 
just like punched my sister in the face a couple times, pinned her to the ground. My dad tried to interfere. I think I hit him. I said some horrible things to him. And I was just like, I'm just, there's something wrong with me. There's just something terribly, terribly wrong with me. I don't deserve to live anymore. And I, I just hurt my dad so much. And I remember running into the street and I decided I'm going to sit down in traffic and I'm going to wait until a car runs me over. And I had just distanced myself from my dad and I was so cruel to him. But I, I saw out of the corner of my eye my dad in his car chasing after me. He's like, I'm not going to let my son die. And I got up and I ran to an even busier street. Like, Dad, stay away. You don't, you, don't need the, you don't need me in your life. I don't deserve it. I've been too bad, too cruel. And I went to another street. And he still chased me and he blocked that traffic. And no matter where I ran, my dad chased after me. And I believe that's the love of our father. Yes, we've messed up. Yes, we've done things to hurt ourselves and the people. Yes, we've opened up the door to sin and injustice in this world. But God chases us all the more because he's like, when you've done the worst, that's when you need me the most. And I love you, and I love you, and I love you. And that's the gospel of freedom that we can all enter in. Uh, here, here's something that just gripped me. Distrusting God says, I messed up. Dad's going to kill me. But trusting God says, I messed up. I need to call my dad. Yeah. I'm telling you what, you are trapped right now. Maybe you're experiencing this lack of freedom. Well, the one you've hurt is the one who can set you free. Yes. God loves you, and he has a plan for you. God thinks about you all the time. Like we just heard on Sunday, if God has a refrigerator, he has your picture on it because he loves you, he likes you, he's in love with you, and he doesn't want you to stay stuck or trapped. Maybe you feel like an imposter when it comes to faith, like I don't deserve God's love. Well, guess what? That's the good news of the gospel. We don't deserve God's love, and yet he loves us. Even while we were enemies with God, he demonstrated kindness towards us by sending his son to the cross. Where Adam and Eve took something from the tree in rebellion to God, Jesus Christ, in obedience to God, put himself on the tree and said, I will rescue all of humanity once and for all, and you are included in that. So today, I just want us to make an altar. I want us to ask this question. What's the one area of your life you're unwilling to trust God with? Yeah, you can pray about this. Yeah, you'll trust him here. That's easy. But what are those things you're like, ah, oh, God, I still haven't released this to you, and I need to. Can we just even right now make an altar before the Lord and ask him to speak to us? Oh, God, would you help us examine our hearts? Would you reveal if there are any wicked ways inside of us, any areas where we've allowed the seeds of suspicion to grow into a lack of trust in the Heavenly Father. Lord, we know you love us and none of your promises are too good to be true because you're just that good and just that true and faithful. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us to hand over these, these clenched fists where we think we have to control everything ourselves. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be our own idols Lord, I pray that we wouldn't rule on the throne of our hearts, but Lord, we open up our hearts, our hands, our lives, and we say, hey, we will receive 
whatever you want us to have, and we will give up whatever you want to have. Lord, would you sit on the throne of our hearts and take control? Even right now, kill us. I release you from the bondage of slavery that says you have to be your own God. And I just release a full surrender that Jesus would be your king and that you'd fully be able to follow him all the days of your life. If you're acknowledging that you need to surrender some areas to God in your life, would you just nod your head? This is just a private moment between us. And would you just even imagine yourself surrendering to him like that picture of the teddy bear? Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm letting go of what I have so that I can receive what you have. Would you just imagine yourself doing that? Let's make this an altar. Oh, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to release. Oh, Holy Spirit, help us to surrender in this environment, we pray. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. We'll be back here every week with fresh content. But hey, I want to give you an invitation to our Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you in person. We have multiple service times every single Sunday morning in downtown Bellevue, Washington. If you would be interested in joining us, just go to www.kalos.church. All the information you need is there. You can actually even click a link to sign up and save a seat so we can help make sure you feel comfortable coming and hanging out with us in person. So thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.